When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode Alexander Digg of the Cost Per Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. The NHL draft was completed yesterday, and the Senators have six new prospects added to their system. And to recap the past two days, I have a friend of the show, Ari of Silver 7 Cents. Ari, how's it going? Hey, Trevor. Happy to be here and happy to be here with your listeners. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. I don't know if this is maybe your third time. I know I've definitely had you to recap a draft before, but either way, it's always fun having you on. Um, and man, the NHL has just had an insane last few days and it's really hard to keep track of everything that has gone down. I mean, there was the expansion draft feels like old news now after there were trades for, uh, Ekman Larson, Jones, Buchnevich, Ristolainen, etc. And I feel like for once this time of year actually delivered in terms of those big moves happening. No, absolutely. Um, I remember when I was going through all the, the trade boards, I, in my heart of hearts was kind of glad that auto was a cheap organization from a budgeting perspective i think there's there were a lot of um really big moves made from a cap hit perspective that was interesting to consider in the context of the league when people have been talking about cap space as a weapon and the cap is flat and we really have to be careful about that and then to see those big deals happen um i was definitely caught off guard a bit but i feel like uh some of the old adages around like right shot defensemen being mm. worth a premium is totally something that I think we saw there and I think Sens fans know that well from the Eric Carlson trade that was officially completed yesterday as well yeah exactly and we'll get into that in a bit later when we talk about the draft but yeah some of those trades just massive head scratchers don't know exactly what some teams are doing but as you say sometimes it's better that the senators can't actually you know spend all this money on some of these players it's a uh, you know Spending money isn't necessarily always smart. So now today I want to focus on the draft, obviously, but we also have to touch on the expansion draft as the Senators lost Joey Decord to the Seattle Kraken. Are you okay with this outcome or were you hoping to lose somebody else? Yeah, I mean, if I'm the organization, you probably would have rather wanted to lose Chris Tierney. And I think from an on-ice perspective, I would have thought that too. It was interesting because I think Seattle totally did that with Tyler Pitlick ending up trading him for a fourth and they maybe could have done something really similar with Tierney if they wanted to recoup a pick as Ottawa's maybe gonna look to do um, over the next week or two Um, but I am not surprised to see Decord go I think I commented right afterwards that his contract was nearly perfect he's on a he's on a two-way next season and then on a one-way the year after that Um, Seattle has Drieger a former Sens prospect an ex-Calgary Hitman goaltender um, locked up and then Vidic Vanacek who's only signed for one more year I think so um, Decord can either compete with Vanacek to be a backup or potentially step in um, in two seasons from now um, when Seattle is probably going to better be able to have him on the roster and I think um, he's he's a vibes king and I think that's why he was a big mm-hmm. fan in our community um, 
both the way that he interacted with fans, some of the things on Instagram, um, some of the podcasts that he's been on, etc. That uh, Joey, you saw that in his games this season, was always really congratulatory of his teammates. I used to love that he, he came up at the end of the line to fist bump players after they scored when he was on the ice. Um, I could have really seen him being a wonderful fit with this team and as someone who's followed his time at Arizona State for Silver 7, I'm really happy to see him go to an awesome organization like Seattle and uh, I hope he succeeds there. Um, it's unfortunate and I think the team chose the higher caliber prospect and player and younger goaltender in Philip Gustafson and um, I I don't think you can regret that too much given the information we all have at this time, especially given Decord's injury. Absolutely and when you mentioned Vibes King, that that's very true. And it's too bad for a team that is really prioritizing, you know, friendships and, and character and things like that. It's it's too bad that they could lose a guy like Decord because it seemed like he was very well loved and for for good reasons. Um and yeah, at the same time I still would have protected Gustafson as well. You know, he had a, a bit more of a pedigree just in terms of you know, he he had played well in the SHL a few years ago. Decord had definitely been better in the AHL, but I think it's pretty hard to, you know, completely ignore nine games where Gustafson had a 9.33 save percentage. I mean, he was... The The funny thing is, if Decord doesn't get hurt, I bet the, I bet you that they protect him because Gustafson probably isn't playing in those games. And um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if Gustafson even gets taken by the Kraken at that point just because he hadn't gotten those NHL games. So, um, you know... It is kind of too bad that Decor got hurt just because, you know, maybe there's a scenario where they got to keep both. Yeah, there's definitely a scenario where Decor joins um, Christian Molanen and Rudolph Balsers as Ottawa Senators, as other two other players who were a bit older who also lost a really crucial year due to injury. Yeah. That was the year Molanen um, was supposed to step in as a top four defenseman. Um, Balsers was going to make a top nine role out of the, out of the camp. Um, both were injured, and I feel like those three players while all really interesting talent profiles are probably aged out by the way in which the Sens are setting themselves up to compete. Mm-hmm. And I think another interesting wrinkle with this is that Evgeny Dadanov was not taken by Seattle. Um, you know, he had been rumored as a potential selection for them. It seems like because they really weren't taking on much money with this team, so I'm sure that $5 million cap hit over the next two years wasn't very attractive to them. And I know a lot of people wanted him taken but at the same time, I'm happy that he's going to get a second chance in Ottawa. I think he's, it's, I don't know, it'll be hard for him to be as bad as he was this past season. Like, he was also extremely unlucky, too. So I think just, it's not as if he was the most unlucky player on the Senators. But I think if he had gone to Seattle, there's a very good chance he would have been putting up like 50 points or something um, just by the law of averages. So. I'm interested to see what he can do in his second year in Ottawa. At the same time, it is too bad that, you know, they can't use that money elsewhere. But it is just for two more years, so I'm not really that worried about, like, the long-term um, ramifications of this contract. Yeah, not at all. I feel like we have to remember that when Dadanov was signed, people were really happy with yeah, the million dollar. Even if, even if he's not a $70 million um, or a 70-point player... Uh, I think what the Sens really have to consider, especially as a management group, is like, what is it that they actually value? Because it sounds like for Dadanov, they really thought he was going to be successful in this role as a bumper on the power play, 
and like that's what they shoehorned him into and that's what maybe they were disappointed about and I agree I think we all thought that too and by all accounts Dadnaw's performance on the power play was putrid but on the other hand I think he was still a really effective top nine NHL player his underlying metrics with Colin White from a shot metrics and goals perspective I think are really really strong still he was above 50% in both on a team that wasn't that great Um, I think him in a third line right wing role or second line right wing role depending on where he plays is still a really valuable commodity and I think they'll be looking for players like him and Connor Brown and Eric Branstrom to really lead the second power play unit if they keep the kids on the top unit Um, and I think he'll still score and it'll just see if the playmaking and everything else can come along with it Um, and it's I think it's okay that he's not a 60 70 point player because I wonder what the senators would actually use that five million on um, yeah. and there's a chance it's probably on a player that's worse on ice impact than Evgeny Dadunov there's a chance it's not but I don't mind the extra bet and I think if he has a good season that you could always move him next year or retain a bit of cap hit and move him because um, his salary is going to be higher too so it'll be interesting to watch him and Zaitsev heading in the next offseason Definitely. I can't imagine he's going to only have one power play assist next season. Like he's going to get a few more goals there. So um, it'll be interesting to watch him play next season. Now, moving on to the draft, there is a topic that if we didn't talk about it, it would be, I think, a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of a correct word here, but we need to talk about it. And it kind of transcends hockey. Um you know, Logan Mayu was taken 31st overall by the Montreal Canadiens. And for those of the for those of you who are unfamiliar with the situation, he was charged in Sweden. It's not it's not as if this these were allegations. He was charged and he admitted to it that he was um now Ari, correct me if I'm wrong, was it a video or a picture? Do you know? Yeah, a picture and um and part of the issue was both of that and the naming of the um, the person, right. the victim, afterwards to his team, and so from a uh, from a mentality perspective, I think part of the question around Mayu is is it really a mistake or is some of this intentional? Mm-hmm. And um, as a mental health professional myself, I think it's been really interesting to follow some of the comments if you're on Twitter um, to go in and see what um, psychologists, like the the London Knights, commissioned a, a mental health report that they were able to send to teams. I think all of that from a Um, a mental health perspective is really really interesting but fundamentally I think part of our issue with Mayu is what it means for hockey culture because I know I don't know what it was like for you Trevor but I know for me I watch the draft with my best friend every year and we've probably done that for 20 years since Mm -hmm. the Jason Spezza year and um, we were dead silent um, when that pick came in and especially and because I think this is important too the transition from that pick to Chicago when Stan Bowman was up and um, had uh, women almost as a PR shield for him Mm. when we know the allegations that the Blackhawk organizations are under. I think all of that has a lot to say with how hockey values women. And fundamentally, this is what this is about. Um, Not just Mayu, but what he represents and whether um, there were actually repercussions for a player like him when there are real people who were hurt. this instance Mm -hmm. yeah and so um i I didn't quite get the whole for those of you who i mean i'm sure most people have have heard the actual details but um yeah it was he had shared a picture um sexual in nature um you know it was a consensual act between him and another girl another woman um but yeah obviously sending the picture to his teammates was not consensual she did not want that 
Um, and so he was charged for that. And he literally told teams that he did not think he was mature enough to be taken. And the Montreal Canadiens still took him. And there was a fantastic question yesterday. I don't know who asked it. Um, there was a reporter, though. They were asking Trevor Timmons about, you know, okay, he said he wasn't mature enough to be drafted. Why do you think that's different? And silence spoke volumes. He was literally silent for about 30 seconds trying to answer this question. And then his response was just something about, you know, can you elaborate more on that? Because he he knows, he knows that it is an abhorrent selection. You know, this is a player who had no repercussions, as you said. You know, he didn't have to face any consequences for his actions. He's a first-round pick. He's a first-round pick. That's where he's coming in. And um, I know that's... Like, we talk so much about hockey players being role models. Um, It's Olympic season right now for those people who are here, too. And we talk about Olympians the same way. And there's a lot of really um, not great sexual assault allegations coming on with, with U.S. Olympians. Athletes are, are role models, whether we want to or not. And playing in the NHL is um, is a privilege, not a right. And I feel like when, what we all can do as people listening this and taking this in, while we can't control what the Montreal Canadiens do with their hockey decisions, um, I think we should really reconcile when we see like boys will be boys takes on this or the normalizing of, well, he's a 17-year-old kid and et cetera, et cetera. It's really different to say like ah he was caught with like smoking weed mm-hmm. or whatever when in countries where it's not legal or um, had a had a car accident or something like that when this is something that is a much larger issue and I think for hockey something that we're really grappling with for sure and I think my main comment that I really want to make sure that we're noting on this is like just to send all of our love and appreciation to people who have been impacted. Um, by sexual violence, whether you um, know someone who has or have been yourself, um, men, women, non-binary people, those are real lives that are being impacted here, not just like the on-ice performance of your favorite team. Um, and I think one thing that's really important for me is something we'll post in the Silver 7 post for this is I'm, I'm going to make a donation to the Assaulted Women's Helpline here in Ontario that has a toll-free helpline um, and a lot of resources for people who've been impacted by sexual violence. Um, We'll post a list from some other organizations that Trevor's located in, in BC, um, including for people in Ottawa who are watching this, um, in case you want to kind of do that as well. Um, I think it's something we can do from an action perspective to make sure that survivors know that they're supported by us because um, they're welcome in hockey too. Absolutely. And I will de- certainly join you on that in terms of donations. And just, yeah, one more point for me. I think it's so important that you know, we have to look at things from the perspective of other people. So not just, you know, straight white men who are, you know, certainly the majority of, uh, well, maybe, I don't know what it is necessarily these days, but the, the quote unquote typical ho- hockey fan and um, hockey guy or whatever. Nowadays, though, you want people from different parts of life to be following hockey. You want women to be watching hockey. You want non-binary people to be watching hockey. You want people of color to be watching hockey, right? And especially in terms of women in this case, I don't know how you can look at this and feel like you're accepted and feel like you're part of the community when a guy like Mayu just had no consequences for this, right? So 
as you say, our hearts, our hearts go out to, you know, people who have been affected by sexual violence. Um, it's just very disappointing to see how far we have to go. Um, especially when you combine this with the, the Blackhawk stuff, like, like you've been talking about. So it's, it's definitely disappointing. And I would hope that the Canadians are, you know, I hope that other organizations would take a stronger stand than the Canadians. So, um, but yeah, anything else to add about this, Ari? No, I think we'll we'll talk about this in the way that it's also impacting when we talk about picks and prospects and what people value, because I think fundamentally, um, these are all parts of the same coin. The, the Blackhawks allegations against Brad Aldrich, um, the the impact of the the CHL hazing lawsuit that we saw earlier this year, mm-hmm. um, Logan Mayu. I think those are all things that hockey has to reckon with, and I think it's really something that impacts lots of people, but some communities in a disproportionate way. Um, and so, my other donation, which we'll also link in in the Silver Seven poster, for those who want to join, there's a really wonderful organization here in Ontario called Youthline that has a youth helpline for to us LGBTQ communities that do a lot of work. Um, I think the way in which we talk about queer inclusion and sexual orientation in hockey also has a lot to do with the way in which we're responding to things like um, the Chicago case or Mayu or what worth and value we have in people. And so um, I'm appreciative of this platform too with you, Trevor, even just to raise awareness on this as a community because I think mm-hmm. um, fundamentally we all want the same thing, I think, to have as many people in the world who fall in love and watch hockey just like we do. And I just wish the the NHL as a league really took that seriously because um, there's a lot that they can do with the power that they have to lead to systemic change that isn't happening, even though um, we're seeing a bunch of really awesome individuals like Luke Luke Prokop um, do a lot of awesome work on their end. Um, And I want the league to step up themselves. Certainly. Yeah. Very well said, Ari. Um, You know, we're certainly, certainly seeing a lot of progress in some ways, but in other ways, you know, we certainly have a long way to go. But, um, yeah, there's there's no easy way to transition back to something as, as trivial as just the hockey draft. But, you know, this is a Senators podcast, so I wanted to talk about the picks. But, so yeah, mo- moving on to the Senators' first pick, and they had the 10th overall selection. And there was a lot of talk about them potentially taking either goalies, uh, Jesper Wallstadt or Sebastian Kosa. Plus, Chaz Lucius's name was probably the most talked about forward at that spot. Um, since he seemed like someone they would pick. Instead, they go for a player who, I'm not going to lie, I really had no idea about because he was ranked much lower, like late first round, maybe early second round. What can you tell us about right winger Tyler Boucher and why you think he made sense for the Senators at 10? Yeah, Boucher really is from the Brady Kachuk school of physicality. Um, What I really love about Boucher is I think he's more than just that too he showcases pro habits he has a really balanced toolkit and it's really enabled by his physicality Um, he's someone who knows the kind of player that he is and his physicality is one where he is using his body to separate player from puck on the forecheck or aggressively attacking opposing players on the back check or disrupting play along the boards or going through players on his way to the net Um, it's been really interesting to watch the reaction to Boucher because a lot of people are getting amped when you see his videos in the weight room and the frame that he has for mm-hmm. a 17, 18 year old um, in the scouting circles, I think there's a lot of questions around like, do you value a player who's physically mature now 
Or do you value a player who's able to put up points and produce and have a nice impact and they still have room to grow physically? Um, and I think for Boucher, what's really interesting here is because so much of his game comes phys- comes from his physicality, um, he clearly put a lot of work in during his injury late in season. He had a torn meniscus, an MCL injury, COVID-19, pneumonia, where he really put a lot of work into the off-ice to help enable his play. And I think I'd be really... I'm really excited to see him follow Kachuk's footsteps with the BU Terriers next season in the NCAA's Hockey East Division um, because he probably needs at least two years there. And the hope is that he's probably physically ready to compete against NCAA players and have a strong rookie season. And if he doesn't, I think there's going to be a lot of questions on the skill upside with this pick because as always with Ottawa, the reaches are always about who did they leave on the board? And mm-hmm. when players like right afterwards, Cole Sillinger, someone with almost the exact opposite of Boucher, when he needs to make physically mature a bit more, but has really explosive on ice individual skill. Um, it'll be really interesting to watch that kind of battle continue for the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and there's some interesting points in there. And I think I completely forgot that Kachuk also played at Boston university. So um, there's, there's a connection there. And, you know, he's also another son of a former NHL player, Brian Boucher. So, I mean, they have Greg, Sanderson, Kachuk, Boucher. Um, who am I missing? There's definitely a couple of... Well, Norris. I don't Norris. know if he, his dad played in the NHL, but he was at least a, a pro player. Am I missing anyone else? Batherson is Denny Vial. Yeah, as yeah. ties, family-wise. Um, and you kind of saw that throughout. Like, I think that whole conversation is an interesting one to have, too, because this class maybe even more so because of the uncertainty, had a lot of, um, like, nepotism. Like, there was a lot of former... Josh Stone. Former sons of NHL players. Yeah, Josh Stone going to going to Arizona. Um, you kind of see that. So it's not just an Ottawa thing. I think mm-hmm. we like to rag on Ottawa for that and whatever. But I think, to me, what's more interesting is to think about that as, like, a, as connected to some of the conversation around you. Like, who gets access to hockey and who's rewarded to hockey? Because clearly those who have former NHL players, of course you're going to have extra mentorship and you're going to have better be able to do that. Like Boucher billeted with Chris Osgood's family in, in Ann Arbor when he was playing in Michigan. Um, and so like that mentorship is always going to be there, but it's also like who gets access and who has the money and who has the connections to do that. And a lot of former NHLers have the ability to do that when there are some kids and I'm thinking of like Zade Wisdom from last year in particular, who was a, mid-late round pick with the Philadelphia Flyers, but had a wonderful season with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And we'll probably go back to be on Shane Wright's wing in Kingston this year Ooh. with uh, Levy Miralainen. Um, Wisdom is a kid who didn't have that opportunity, but succeeded anyways. And so I think Boucher, um, I expect someone of his caliber and with his pedigree and his mentorship to really thrive because I think, especially as a 10th overall pick, um, there's going to be expectations for him to do that. And I think... Um, I think he certainly can. And what it'll be interesting to see again, the value of Boucher, Ottawa likely sees as a puck retrieval, Zach Hyman for Tim Stutzla. Um, he's the one to go in on the forecheck. And I think that's that can potentially be a valuable piece in a cup contending team. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know what? When I think of it that way, I, I don't hate that because Stutzler certainly doesn't seem like someone who is going to be overly physical. Not that he's, you know, a, a prima donna who can't go in the corner or anything, but I think it would be good to have a physical guy like that on his line. And w- what I do like about the pick is that it seemed like Brady Kachuk and Jake Sanderson are pumped about this because it seems like they're they're friends. Um, and with a lot of these picks, they are very big on picking like connections. So friends, you know, like Sanderson and Kachuk are friends. Um, Norris and, and Kachuk are best friends. So like a lot of these guys know each other. So in, in terms of that, like team building aspect, um, I certainly don't hate that. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, because Bob McKenzie was saying that Tom Wilson was a comparison for Boucher. What do you think about that there? Yeah, I think Tom Wilson is like the new Milan Lucic, and I'm sure you can probably mm. remember that from, from a while ago, especially being in Vancouver now. The way in which some teams chased the Milan Lucic archetype, I think yes. teams chased the Tom Wilson archetype. Um, I will shy away from that comparison a little bit, and more so say that I think Boucher can be He's less uh, dirty than Tom Wilson. He doesn't cross the line nearly as much. He's less likely to kind of be the open ice hit kind of guy, but his physicality is smart. I don't think he he does it um, unintentionally. And while I think he's likely going to be as effective on the forecheck as Wilson, what I actually want him to see is to follow a little bit of Wilson's development path where Wilson generated a lot of power in his skating stride to allow him to separate from players easier and become that menace. Boucher is going to need to do that because his, his feet are average, but I think he wants to be more explosive to really get in on the forecheck at the next level. And finally, I think he needs to become a better puck distributor. Like Wilson can play, and that's why he's always talked about in the same way. And I think um, Boucher is a very straight line, chip and chase, puck retrieval kind of player. And I really want to see him be a good distributor too because when he gets the puck he's going to need to be able to use his puck handling or use his passing ability to find Strutzla and Pinto if those are his future line mates for instance um, helping his in zone movement and working on that to be able to um, open himself up to more scoring opportunities I think is something that I expect him to do with the BU Terriers and I think that's what you want to follow if you do watch him next season um, look for a skating stride and in particular, a look to see his skill development with the puck. Um, you want him to be able to not just be uh, drive wide, a same rush pattern every single time. I think he needs to be more creative. And if he does that, I think he could totally provide value in the 10 slot for the Senators. And the thing is, too, he's going to be very fun to watch because, you know, fans of the Capitals love watching Tom Wilson, even if he is making these dirty hits. So, Boucher will certainly be a fun player to watch, especially if you're able to watch Boston University games. And I think what people forget about Wilson, too, is that when he's, you know, not running around and he's not suspended, he's actually been quite an effective player the last, like, three, maybe four seasons. Before that, he was, you know, certainly more of a fourth-line player. And then, I don't know, all of a sudden, he just turned into a legitimate top-six player, um, you know, someone who can put up 50-plus points. So... If he does turn into a Wilson that doesn't get suspended and, you know, makes those smart hits like you were saying, that is certainly a valuable player. So um, if that's the the upside that he has, 
it's better than it sounds on the on the face of it just like you know a player that's going to be tom wilson it, i think it's, it's better than it sounds i would say yeah and fundamentally like we the brandon mackey who also writes for silver seven had a great piece on this and you're starting to see some pieces on this too trent man's comments yesterday um around where boucher could have been taken i think part of yeah. the issue is people are like well they could have just traded down and clearly in the in the private space among nhl teams he was going to be taken between 10 and 20 and ottawa didn't think that they wanted to lose him and um all of that has to go to like what what do teams actually value and i think um ottawa clearly has a value for smart players who can use their physicality to really not get worn down in a playoffs where there's um, a lot of battles they really want boucher to be able to be that archetype like Kachuk, like Norris, like Pinto, like Stutzla, who really doesn't back down from physical challenges. They clearly have that that kind of archetype, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. It's it's a really clear archetype. Um, and what the big question is, is will that be enough to get them to, to win? Um, and will that generate the most wins? Because for all of the talk on really big physical guys like the ones Tampa Bay has, for instance, um, all of them can play. Like Eric Chernak mm-hmm. can play. Uh, like Coleman, Barkley Goodrow can play, and I think they. We also need to see that skill from from some of the Suns players. But uh, Boucher, if he works on those things, I think could be that complementary piece that's there. Um, a typical tenth overall, no, but is this a typical draft? No. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not really arguing with Man too much on that. There's clearly just different information. Yeah, and I wouldn't criticize the Senators for not trading down because, as he says, we have no idea what. You know, they have inside information about what players certain teams are going to want and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's certainly guys that I would would have liked at that spot. Most notably, Chaz Lucius. I thought he would have been a good fit in terms of adding a good goal scorer. But, you know, a lot of these picks we've seen recently, it's more of just a wait-and-see game. And we'll go over kind of their um, philosophy, I guess, at after going through all these picks here. But, you know, Boucher's grown on me just over the last, well, since he's been picked over the last two days. But, yeah, moving on to the next pick here, 39th overall, the Senators took center Zach Ostopchuk um, from the Vancouver Giants, who was similarly ranked much lower. Um, Bob McKenzie had him 89th overall. What do you think of, what do you think the Sens see in Ostopchuk? I think they see the long-term potential of a power forward who has versatility as both a checker and a scorer, um, and someone who I think really profiles as a reliable puck carrier in all three zones. Um, Joel Henderson, a WHL scout for Future Considerations Hockey, really talked about the potential of Ostapchuk, and he's not someone, because he wasn't a really high scorer, that we think of as like a high-value upside pick, but I think the WHL guys that I follow... Um, really do talk about Ostapchuk that way, um, the way his game grew over the course of the season mm-hmm. um, and the potential that he has if he can work through some of the inefficiencies that he plays with now. Because on the surface, from a from a physical specimen, he's six foot three, 198 pounds, and has really strong top speed. And that's a really awesome pro-caliber foundation to work with, um, even if his second-round pick... Um, result is a bit higher than where he was ranked coming in yeah and the one thing i do like about this pick is that i forget who exactly said it It might have been a coach from the vancouver giants but um 
Apparently he looked just much stronger after coming back from the COVID break and playing those 22 games. So perhaps this is a kind of Shane Pinto-like situation where it's kind of a late bloomer and who knows, maybe next season he puts up 80, 90 points in in Vancouver and all of a sudden he's looking like a, a really solid prospect for Ottawa. So, And plus I think just such a strange season, especially in the WHL where they only played certain teams and um, you know just, just a bit bit of a weird life in general so and I do like that I'll be able to watch him out here in Vancouver I haven't been to a Giants game in a while but um, I'll probably make a make a note of going out to Langley and watching a game but another thing too so this finally concludes the Eric Carlson deal so the Carlson deal is now Eric Carlson and Francis Perron for what turned into Tim Stutzla Josh Norris Rudolph Balsers who's gone uh, Chris Tierney, who will probably keep the trade tree going with like a, a draft pick or something. Levy Marilinen, Mads Sogard, which technically they traded up to get him, so the trade tree would actually be a bit longer there. And then Zach Ostopchuk. So quite the haul for the Senators, I would say. Yeah, I mean, the Carlson trade is always going to break my heart as I look around in my room and I see Carlson memorabilia <laughs> everywhere. But I think uh, you take this every every day of the week now. Um, it's and it's really unfortunate. I think Carlson probably played with on uh, all the talk about character, the ultimate character move of maybe really debilitating the rest of his career by mm-hmm. playing through that injury in 2017. Um, and I think uh, the Senators are going to have a lot of different pieces to come out from that. And Ostapchuk is, I think, one who um, I think will be fascinating to to follow. I think. If he can work on his areas of improvement, um, his in-zone offensive game, his efficiency with his energy and his edge work to kind of be an escapable player despite his size, um, I think there's a lot of upside there. And as you say in Vancouver, um, their second and third leading scores are departing this season, so it's really going to be a, a mm. stop checks team with Justin Suardif. There you go, um, yeah, Florida's twenty-five rounder. So you, I think he's going to have all the minutes in the world to prove himself and. Um, It'll be really interesting to see if see if he can because uh, he has a lot of tools and it's just that if he can work the habits out. I'm curious then, Ari, how would you rank Ridley, Greg, and Ostopchuk? Like, would you put Greg slightly higher or do you think they're kind of on the same level right now? Yeah, I think they bring something a little bit different. I think Greg really is... Um, he impressed me this season, both his play in Belleville and I really trust Troy Mann's evaluation of yeah. how pro-ready he was and the ability of him to score in Brandon. Like He showed way more of a playmaking tendency than I think he did. And I want to give... I didn't dislike that pick when it was taken, and I think Greg deserves a lot of credit there. Um, he kind of profiles as your like gritty third-line Jean-Gabriel Pajot-type center. And Astapchuk is a natural center but plays at left wing and could be a that straight line speed on that line. Um, that could be Alex Formanton. Um, a stop chuck could be someone who um, fills in in a, in a second line role. And I think Greg could do that as well. I think Greg though, fundamentally has more offensive skill at this point and was younger when he was taken. He was a really young for that draft class. Um, a stop chuck's a May birthday. Um, he obviously needs, has a lot more development time to go because he missed some time with a, uh, a knee injury trend, I think, for the Sanders draft class. Missed the final 18 games of his rookie year with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a similar kind of profile of player, someone who's physically ready for the playoffs, 
who can kind of play that grinding kind of game and potentially provide you some offense. I just would bet on Green's offense coming through for now um, over a stop chuck, but high ceiling, maybe. Interesting. Okay, okay. Um, with their next pick at 49th, still in the second round, Ottawa actually traded down from 42, and they took right-handed defenseman from the London Knights, Ben Roger. Is he sort of a right-handed version of Tyler Clevin, or do you think there's more to his game than just his size? Yeah, that's. I think that's the question. Um, I think people see similar issues with Clevin and Roger in both like decision-making, and is that related to experience? Is that related to hockey sense? I think Roger has a lot more leeway than, than Clevin because of his... Because um, Roger really didn't play this year outside of the nine games he played with that the the eerie prospect showcase um but i think part of what's going against roger a little bit is he's one of the older players in the class he's a november 2002 birthday um but he's just a fundamentally different player than when london drafted him so london drafted him in 2018 74th overall he was six foot one 165 um in his in his rookie look when he was drafted and he played 35 games um, now he's 6-4-2-0-1, and Ottawa clearly had inside information from Jeremy Benoit, the Belleville Senator's strength and conditioning coach, um, and has, um, to my knowledge, at least like better mobility than Clevin. He can move around a bit more. Clevin's got the better shot. Roger's more profiling as a passer, um, maybe a little bit more mobile, but I'm sure Ottawa potentially sees a third pair that has those two twin towers on, on, the, on either side, Clevin on the left and Roger on the right, and as their kind of playoff-ready defense pair. And I think he's going to be a really big development project, and London is going to be a fascinating place to play this season, not just for the play of Logan Mayu, who will be there, but also because um, they have very little experience on defense, and Roger can maybe be a a top-four player right away, especially given his pedigree now. But, uh, yeah, I (laughs) this is definitely the same in terms of Glevin in the sense of the reach and the questions around him being this high as opposed to the Estapchuk pick um, or when people said Grieg was a reach. I think Clevin and, and Roger both um, bring up more question marks here from whether he was going to get taken. Certainly. Yeah. And I almost, I'm almost glad that he didn't play any OHL games this season. Cause I don't know, that's more of a mystery, right? Like who knows what he would have done in a full season. He had six points in 35 games in 2019, 20 and you know, obviously you can't be judging a defenseman off points, but, um, you know, next full season, you would hope to see that take a big jump just because even defensive defensemen always put up some amount of points in, in junior, just, you know, by, by the nature of them being, being able to, uh, you know, win puck battles and stuff like that. So again, this could be a pick where not many teams knew too much about him just because, you know, I guess he played those nine games, as you were mentioning, and he could be a diamond in the rough. So, you know, we've seen Ottawa do this with, with guys that um, are quote-unquote reaches, and potentially Roger has, has something there that other teams weren't seeing. He was certainly ranked a lot lower, um, just looking here. Uh, oh, I guess I was mixing up Ostopchuk and um, Roger's ranking, because Roger was actually 89 by McKenzie. I think they were very similar, though. Um, he was 90 at McKean's Hockey, so not not too low. It uh, looks like Future Considerations had, had him all the way at 293rd, which was probably, a, you know, too low on him there. 
but yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what he can do in his first season in London after the draft and, you know, see if there's any untapped potential there. Um, but in the, or I don't know, was there anything else you wanted to add on Roger? Yeah, I think, um, not really on him specifically, but something that's really interesting that I hope someone with access that I don't have is able to ask the Ottawa Senators. Clearly, the Senators are really comfortable with the London Knights development program. And like we were mentioning at the top of the show on my U, um, London, the way they responded to it, they're the gem of the OHL. And I don't think responded to to the situation in a way that showed care for the victim and probably is an embodiment of some of the not so great things in hockey culture. And that's where Ben Roger, a second round pick in 2021, is going to be spending some precious development time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd be really curious for people to question Ottawa and like the character of the London Knights organization and um, how they feel about having young players who are really impressionable spending time there because they're also going to come to Ottawa and be a part of our community and hockey is more than that. Um, and so Rogers for sure probably going to spend at least two, if not three seasons in, in London, I imagine. Um, I don't know how eligibility is going to work with this year being missed if like, you know, yeah. how it's usually four years or whatever it might be. Um, but definitely a long-term project, uh, smooth skating defenseman with puck moving ability that they see. And if that turns out, I think you don't get a lot of six foot four smooth skating puck movers. So that's why the second round projection is, I guess, is there. Um, but if he doesn't turn out, it's a, it's a big flame up probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I should also mention too, that he had been working out with Belleville's trainer. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but, uh, so there was that connection there and, I'm sure they got very comfortable with him over the past however many months he'd been working out with him. So um, just, yeah, something interesting to know. But now in the third round, Ottawa went outside of North America to take left winger Oliver Johansson of Timra IK, which is the same team as Victor Lodine and Jonathan Dolan. Is there anything interesting you find about this pick? Yeah, Johansson's the youngest player selected by the Sens in this year's draft class. Um, and I think has some... Really interesting two-way hockey sense, strong skating ability, and creative playmaking tendencies in the 22 games that he played across three teams. Um, For those who don't know a little bit about the way Sweden worked this year, uh, they were impacted by COVID-19 a lot in the sense that they um, both had lots of seasons start and then had them interrupted. And so Johannesson really um, exemplified that. He started with Timra's under-18 squad, played seven games, and then that league shut down. Then he moved to their under-20 team, played three games, and that league went on pause. And so we spent the rest of the year with Timmer's men's squad in the second-tier men's league, the Osvenskin, where Jonathan Dahlin led that team, an ex-Sens pick in 2016, and um, Victor Lodin, who's newly signed to his entry-level contract. Um, Timmer was the best squad in the Osvenskin, and uh, they really... Um, we're on a mission to take advantage of Darlene's play there to earn a promotion to the SHL, which they did. And so the fact that um, Johansson at 17 basically got any games was is a really good sign. He played five games. And I think what's really interesting is that he broke out in his final two games of the season. So he replaced Darlene on, on the top line because they rested him for the playoffs. And mm-hmm. Johansson scored three goals in two games. Um, and there's some really wonderful clips of him doing that, showcasing really strong speed. Um, he even impressed that much that on in their seven playoff games, he was trusted with some ice time, only 3.49 a night, but he was on the roster. Um, and I think that's a really positive sign for his development. Um, there's 
plenty of interest in him, according to Elite Prospects contributor Jimmy Henron. So probably why the Sanders went for him in the third round, and we thought he'd go before that, um, or go right after that, sorry. Um, and he'll probably spend time with both their under-20 and SHL squads next season. So um, there's not many 18-year-olds even, draft plus ones, who play in the SHL. So I'd be curious to see if Tim Rousseau, um starved of offense, especially with Darlene moving on um, now to see if he features in time. But I think he's a really interesting high upside bet, um, even if, again, he's maybe not ranked by a lot of people, because I think the Senators clearly did their research and were comfortable with Timra, just like they were with London um, here. Yeah, and just, just based on the fact that they're going to be up in the SHL, and like you said, who knows if he's going to get a ton of ice, ice time. But with Dolan leaving, that opens up a spot. Um you know, for 21-22, he's listed here as both Timra IK and then their under-20 team as well, as you said. So either league would be pretty good for him um, in terms of his progression. And yeah, I think they were certainly comfortable taking him because I'm sure they were watching Victor Lodine play. And then uh, they must have seen Johansson in, in those few games there. So I like the pick, and as you say, he's very young. He's He turns 18 tomorrow on Monday. Um, so, you know, this is a guy... This is, it seems like, one of their few skilled picks, I guess you can call it. You know, some similarities to... Not necessarily in terms of play style, but just in terms of, like, upside, maybe a guy like Ruby Arventi. Because um, I could see him doing quite well in the SHL, maybe puts up some points, and all of a sudden he's he's really on our radar for next season. So, you know, I, I always like adding more Swedes too. Yeah, I feel like for anyone comparing the Johannesson pick to the Lodin pick, remember that part of the issue with Lodin that some people have with that is he was an overager at the time. Um, yeah. Even Eric Engstrom, their pick last season out of Sweden, um, was an overager too. Johansson's not that. He's one of the younger players in that class. And so I think I have all the time in the world from a developmental runway standpoint to let him fester in in Sweden for a little bit and um, they're clearly betting on a different set of skill but like their their other picks like all seem to have um, decent-ish hockey sense and the fact that he was trusted in a men's league at all let alone in the season that Timur was having is I think a really positive sign Um, so yeah someone who I think I'll follow with great interest next season to see how he features um, even if it's in the under 20 league because again he's only going to be 18 um, and I, I don't think that's a, the worst thing in the world if he doesn't feature in SHL minutes next season. Oh, yeah. Definitely someone to keep an eye on, especially next season, though. Now, Ottawa didn't have a fourth-round pick, but they traded their fifth and sixth in order to take right-winger Carson Latimer from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Why do you think they were so eager to take him? Yeah, Latimer um, was the central division in the WHL's Rookie of the Year. So the WHL spent this year in two bubbles. They had a BC division and a central division. The central division was the weaker division, and Latimer played for the best team in the league and Dylan Gunther and Sebastian Kosa's Edmonton Oil Kings. But I think where he really impressed was while he started in a bottom six role, when Gunther was away at the under-18s, um, he saw his ice time elevated, both at even strength and in special teams, and scored 16 points in 22 games. So first in rookie scoring exact in that same division. Exactly, stop track. <laughs> totally. Um, and I think they're, they're different players in the sense that Latimer is the um, straight line, really, really, really strong speed and agility um, 
really good details to his game, like probably kind of like I think a safe floor as a as a fourth line player or top nine winger. Um, and I think there's potentially a lot more to him than that, and that's what the Sanders are hoping for, um, and probably why they traded up for him. In that, uh, he this is really his first WHL season. He um, went back to the CSSHL after he was drafted in the 2018 Bantam draft, um, and uh, was someone who was always on international radars. Like he featured for Team BC at the Canada Winter Games in 2019. So they're probably hoping that there's more skill here to Latimer than than what his historical profile showed and that what he saw this season was actually the, the legit um, Carson Latimer. And I think uh, he he could potentially make well on that bet. And if not, he could be a reliable forward one to the zone. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see what he'll do on a Oil Kings team that should still be really, really good with Kosa and Gunther again next year unless Gunther makes the, the Coyotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It's kind of a double-edged sword with these really good elite OA, or sorry CHL teams where it's like, okay, well, if he's on a really good team, you could say he might be getting a lot of points. But, you know, if he's behind a guy like Gunther, you know, he's a right winger. So it's, you know, he might be getting less points because he's not getting that top, um, the top line production or sorry, top line ice time. So, you know, I don't know exactly how many points we should be expecting from him, but the fact that he's a right winger is good. They, you know, they added both him and Boucher this draft, and that was probably their, well, at least amongst the forwards, amongst like left wing and, and center positions, right wing was probably the weakest. So it's nice that they've added a bit of depth there. But also interesting to note that he played eight games in the PIJHL, which is the junior B league here out in in BC. I'm assuming that's just because you know there were no games being played, and so he put up 12 points in eight games, but. Um, it's just kind of funny imagining a draft pick being uh, playing in Junior B in this league here. Yeah, he's the first ever Pacific Junior Hockey League player who was rostered in that same year with a PHL really? team drafted to the NHL in the same year. <laughs> there and you so go. He's always going to be famous in Port Moody for anyone listening to Port Moody. Um, yeah. I think uh, that's a really fascinating story and something I think you'll always remember. Um, and Port Moody got Kent Johnson already drafted for football from Columbus. So, um, good for that community and I think it'll be um, like yeah I really hope Latimer succeeds um, what was interesting is he there was a tweet that um, someone named Andrew Purd on Twitter and Andrew if you're listening hello he works in broadcasting and media for the Wilkings when he called Latimer Latimer was like I saw my name and kind of freaked out it was pretty wild um, Ottawa's got some emerging stars and they're going to be successful in the coming years and I'm really excited to be part of that and if his on-ice game is as any good as his sweet-talking game, um, I hope he succeeds because I think he has the, the detail and the sense to potentially do that and the fleet feet like Alex Formington to do that too. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. And lastly, but not least, the Senators' seventh-round pick was left-shot left defenseman Chandler Romeo, or is it Romeo? I don't know. Um, coming in at 6'5", 205 pounds. Any thoughts on their final pick? Yeah, I feel bad for Angus Cruikshank because now he's got competition for the best <laughs> name in the, yeah. among Sanders prospects. Um, Romeo hasn't suited up for the Bulldogs yet. and Hamilton was supposed to have a really, really strong team in the OHL this year. Um, but he's like um, Ben Roger a little bit. Um, massive, 6'5", 205. And really, the Senators are thinking a two-way player that hopes that if his skating improves, he has the mobility and potentially the 
the puck moving ability, like a first pass kind of thing to be able to be um, provide value defensively with his wingspan and also get the puck up the ice like a modern NHL defenseman has to. And I think this is the, like, what is this, 202nd overall? Um, Romeo is where I think you take stabs on players like this on on that kind of upside and that projectability mm-hmm. and I have no problem with taking OHL players this season who maybe would have went a lot higher should their season have played um Rogers issue is the fact that he was taken in the second round but not to his <laughs> fault at, at all but Romeo I think is a really fine bet at this point um and Senators are clearly just thinking his athleticism is maybe something that'll um make him a, a projectable player and Hamilton will look to have a good team next year yeah, and, you know, with any pick in the seventh round, I don't think you could actually criticize any seventh round pick unless it was, like, literally some guy who, you know, played five games in junior B or something like that. And um, But it is interesting that he hasn't played a single game in the OHL. That's not any fault of his own. That's just because there weren't any games, obviously, this year. So, um, as you say, he'll be with Hamilton this coming season. And, again could be one of these guys that kind of comes out of nowhere and makes Ottawa look good. So, but yeah, those are those are the six picks that the Senators took. And I think after all is said and done, the the 2021 class has a similar feeling to many previous drafts for Ottawa where they sort of quote unquote reach on most of their picks, but you know, Trent Mann has been known to find some diamonds in the rough. So, there's always backlash when there are suggestions that they had a bad draft. Like no fans are going to want to like hearing that so what do you make of their six selections and what it means for how they want to build their team moving forward yeah I mean I have a lot of respect for the senators and their scouts they clearly have an idea of what they want to do and um, execute that that game plan Um, Ottawa has a vision for the type of team that they want to be and it's really clear I think among their draft picks Um, and they say to hell with consensus and um, I think that's really interesting and it's interesting to ask Trent Mann about it as people have been asking him about it and sometimes I feel like he's a little now and him and Dorian are both a little defensive now in their answers but yep. <laughs> I think when you consistently go against consensus it begs the question of like uh do you just think you're suddenly the best the best team in the league like what do you know that other teams don't know um because consensus even if maybe they put in more work than some public list proprietors um I don't think at least the public list that I follow um, are lots of people who put in a lot of work. Um, we hear that in the Welcome to Your Carlson Years podcast with Brad Allen at HockeyProspect.com. You hear that with rankings from McKean's and Future Considerations. Like These are all independent agencies that have done a lot of work, not just random people on Twitter, like yeah. the radio and the mainstream media, I think, like to talk about it. Sure, those people exist, but I think there's a conflation there that's really intentional that isn't good for discourse. Like I know as a fan, I really didn't tweet that much yesterday about the draft picks because I knew that no matter what you said, you were probably going to get other attacked for it. And I don't think that's productive at all. Um, so I'm more so just going to say that I respect the senators for <laughs> their approach. I really hope it works out as a fan. Um, but fundamentally, I think it begs lots of important questions to ask from a drafting philosophy perspective. Because I think Tim Stutzla is the only player that I can remember who was like the consensus pick in his yeah. spot. It's like three drafts probably, right? And Ottawa's had some bets that have worked. Shane Pinto clearly works. Um, Mad Sogard had a really awesome initial campaign in the A. Leaving Miralainen, while he was relatively unknown last season, 
the best goalie in Finland's under-20 league this season. So clearly there's some logic to be had for people who want to trust men and colleagues. Um, and I think every any, everyone who's asking questions of them have worthy questions to be asked as well. As like, what do you see in these players? What does that mean? And um, will that work? Will that result in the most effective NHL team? Because for all of the talk about am- Ottawa's amateur scouting, I think what people have to really question is Ottawa's, I think, being really good at producing NHLers who play games. Definitely. But not necessarily NHLers who provide the most value. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things as we think about that. So when a lot of people conflate those, I think a lot of people in the comment sections that I follow and even on Silver 7 are like, well, yeah, but they're producing NHLers. And it's, do they want just NHLers or do you want elite NHLers? And I think... Um, you're obviously going to need a mix of both. And Ottawa as a team, given where they are in their development trajectory, are certainly in the position to take some calculated risks. And I think they did that in this draft class. Are they the risks other people would have taken? Probably not. But Ottawa will see that the picks like Roger, the picks like Romeo, the picks like Johannesson are quote-unquote high upside risks, Latimer, etc. Whereas um, they're maybe not the picks that other outlets might have suggested. And that's what's going to be fascinating to follow. What makes them, what makes those players the picks compared to others? But I think we, as a community, need to go beyond the initial attack each other discourse because I think there's some really interesting questions to ask there. Yeah, some fantastic points in there, Ari, and I agree with that, like all of that. And I think you're right in that, you know, we're right to have questions about these picks. And, um, you know, as you say, we need to preface all of these conversations with, of course, we don't know more than actual NHL scouts, right? Like, I don't think any any one of us are going to claim to know that. And, um, you know, kudos to their scouts for putting in hours and countless hours. It sounds like a quite a thankless job, I'm not going to lie, being a, an NHL scout. So they clearly have an agenda in terms of like how they want to make a team and and certain things that they're looking for. So but I do find it strange that, I don't know, a lot of these prospects that they've drafted recently have seen their stocks rise. Like like you mentioned, Pinto, Marilinen, um, Formanton, like whoever. But a lot of them haven't necessarily like fully proven themselves yet. So I do find the conversations around, oh, like haven't you learned to, to trust the draft and like trust, trust Trent Mann and things like that, which has like some sense of truth. I mean, it's not all a lie but as you say they're they're really good at producing these nhl players but not necessarily the elite guys so i think there is some like i think we can have a rational discussion about this where you know we're okay we're questioning the upside but also recognizing that they're good at finding actual nhl players so it is kind of frustrating to see people push back really hard when you say i don't necessarily love this pick and um yeah like I understand fans are, are gonna want to defend the senators and um it's exciting time right now I'm I'm very excited about the future and things like that but I'm also hesitant to fully give them credit when they haven't like they're not a playoff team yet right they're not contenders so um I I do think it's fair to question some things and and I want to read a couple quotes from one from Trent Mann and one from DJ Smith and um, want to get your thoughts on these. So man first said, uh, we are starting to have a certain identity of how we want to play and what a Sen is and what 
we want to be in how we're going to play the game. And when we go into a building, we want teams to know that the Senators are coming and, oh no, here they come again. We don't like playing the Senators. And then DJ said, you need the best competitors and the guys who refuse to lose. The people in that room are the most competitive and we keep drafting those guys. And if you want to go... And if you want to get that in the room, it's going to get harder and harder to play games for the Ottawa Senators as we get better. So to me, that seems like they're really targeting these guys that are have you know high character, good work ethic, um, but not necessarily not that they're like bad players, but they're not necessarily the most skilled players as well. Is that kind of the sense that you get as well? Yeah, and I I think it's like I think part of what we have to improve with the dialogue is like the to really understand that like most dichotomies are false. And so it seems like if I'm trying to find yeah. a balanced view with the senators is like, they want to draft the hardest working, most skilled players. So if you're skilled, but you don't necessarily work hard, I don't think they have an interest in you, but mm-hmm. of all the players who they have deemed are quote unquote competitive, strong work ethic, character, etc., They are, they think they're taking the most skilled of that group. Like Stutzla is the like what impressed me the most the first time I watched Stutzla play is just how competitive he was. He like hated to lose. He it was the game again the World Juniors two years ago where he was playing the Americans and they obviously knew he was the best player on the ice and targeting him every single shift and he didn't back down once. And Stutzla I think totally still fits the Sen archetype of the mm-hmm. most skilled, hardest working player because he's totally gonna he's totally that type of um hardworking, hates-to-lose competitive kind of kid. Um, so I think the dichotomy of skill versus hard work or skill versus um, character, whatever it is, is one that's false in Ottawa's mind and probably is what contributes to some of the frustration as a fan base. And I fundamentally think what's really interesting is part of what you were saying around, and like Brandon Mackey on Silver 7 Post like wrote about this this morning too, Ottawa thinks they've like cracked the code on building a contender. Yeah. They really think that they, they know what that looks like. And while I respect them for having the vision, I think it's still fine for fans to doubt them because this team has not been a contender since 2007. And so that was 14 years ago. And who are we to trust Pierre Dorian and colleagues that they know how to do that when they haven't been a contender during their reign? For all that's said about 2017... I'm so happy that we got an Eric Carlson cup run because that's what he deserved. But he really had to, he did everything for that cup run. Um, all due respect to Mark Stone, all due respect to the depth on that roster. That was really Eric Carlson being a generational talent that did a lot of that. And the Senators should have, should have been able to surround him with more talent to have more cup runs out of the best defensemen of the 2010s. Um, and what will be really interesting to have happen is that 2012, 2013, and 2014 are basically dead drafts for Ottawa. Um, yeah. Not a lot of players come out of that. And what they really can't have happen is 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023 to turn into that. Because when this team is ready to compete in 2024 to 2027, let's say, is their window with Brady Kachuk and, and Thomas Shabbat and co. Um, they need some of these players drafted today to be ready to step in there. And um, I think there's genuine questions to ask on whether the Senators depictions of what a contender is while it sounds pretty will actually work because we haven't seen them do it so um, i don't i think there's room for genuine frustration on all sides in this um, conversation absolutely yeah and i'm not gonna 
completely dismiss any argument in terms of like how how well or how, even how poor you think they've drafted. I yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that to me this is probably like the deepest prospect pool they've had and so i i'm actually way less worried about their depth than i've ever been because normally that was the the problem like they had some top end guys like stone and carlson and whatnot but they really struggled on like the bottom six and like the bottom pairing and stuff like that so that stuff i'm actually less worried about um but you know if, if you're building around kachuk stutzla norris batherson pinto shabbat sokolov like guys like that sanderson um you know, there's some very good players in there. I'm just not sure you have the points and the Kucherovs and the Crosbys, Malkins, stuff like that. So it's going to be tough. I almost, I don't know if you somewhat subscribe to this theory that wonder if they don't want to necessarily take these guys that have sky high ceilings because they'd be worried about how much they would cost. And that's a bit of a conspiracy theory and like that involves Melnick and stuff. But you know, I I could believe some of that. I'm not gonna like completely push that as like a truth or anything, but that might have a a bit of truth. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I I like the Ottawa Sanders hasn't have not given us enough reason to not ask that question. Um, like Eugene Melnick's Ottawa Sanders can give us many reasons to wonder about their financial capacity. So I think it's totally fair to ask questions like that. Um, I think what'll be really interesting, and like I watched the Zach Hyman debate really intri- like curiously, is that the Senators, their archetype this year was drafting a bunch of guys who were supposed to be really good at puck retrieval and be that kind of Hyman archetype. If he's yeah. worth that much, there's maybe, and if those players continue to be like the Coleman's, Goudreau's, Hyman's, etc., continue to be really sought after now in the modern NHL, um, the Connor Brown even, etc., like hopefully maybe the Sanders might be able to parlay some of their talent, yeah. those prospects for trades for skilled players, if they're able to, if that becomes a new market inefficiency. And so for, while I worry about that, and while I worry if the Sanders are going to recognize that too, I think that's also another cool option that comes out of this, is if those kinds of players become valuable. Because fundamentally, all of those players are valuable when they're making $3 million or less. They're not valuable when they're going to be making Hyman money that they're going to be making he's going to be making in Edmonton um and so the Sanders might be able to parlay some of those extra Tyler Boucher Carson Latimer types um for players like that if those player archetypes become extremely valuable and uh, I don't mind that as a way to buy skill later on if they need it but you're right that I worry a little bit outside of Stutzla and Shabbat maybe and Sanderson in terms of the elite level skill at the top to push this team over the edge but They'll be competitive and they'll work really hard. And I think fans have a lot to applaud for, for that kind of play too. hundred percent. Yeah. Like this is not a team that is, you know, spinning its wheels and, and just stuck in the mud and they have a lot to be excited about. And speaking of that, I, I kind of want to get a final question for you, Ari, just one reason, give us one quick reason to be optimistic about the 2021 draft for the senators. Yeah, I think the senators, in their mind, drafted some players with real upside. And I think while you might read other people who disagree with the definition of that upside, um, I think who's to say what's actually going to be valuable or not. Um, The Senators have their own opinions on that, and then other folks have their opinions on that. Um, What matters to me is that there was a clear agenda and a vision for what this draft class should be, and I 
fundamentally respect that. And I think um, players like Tyler Boucher and Zach Astapchuk and Carson Latimer are players that I think can project really um, safely to an NHL role. And then there's some bets in there, like Ben Roger and Albert Johannesson and Carson Romeo, who um, Chandler Romeo, sorry, who have some really interesting upside if they can pan out in different ways. On defense, that big, mobile, rangy, puck-moving defenseman. And Johannesson is just a pure skill, creativity, speed bet. Um, and I think that's interesting, and I'm excited to kind of follow this generation of prospects. For those who don't know when I've been doing that for the past couple of years, Ottawa actually doesn't have that many junior-age prospects coming into the season. Most of their depth are at the pro mm-hmm. levels um, in Belleville and in Ottawa. And so they really needed an injection of, of talent. I'm glad they ended up making six picks there, and they were scheduled for more in 2022. These draft classes are fundamentally really important to see if the Senators can push themselves over the edge, either as trade bait or as ELC bets when they have to pay Stutzla and Sanderson. So um, I think it's it's all important, and uh, I'm glad that we're having conversations like this as a fan base. Totally, yeah, and they're capable of proving people wrong, so hopefully they can do that again this draft. But that'll do it for today, and where can people find all your work, Ari? Yeah, you can find my work alongside Trevor at Silver7Sends, um, and I'm also on Twitter at CartesCL, so feel free to follow me for for NHL draft content and prospect things, and also talking about social issues and equity in hockey. Um, like I said, I will post some of those donation details in case listeners want to um, match us on that or yeah. contribute in their own way or even contribute from an awareness perspective. I think we all want hockey to be um, inclusive and accepting of as many different people as possible because everyone deserves to enjoy the sun sickos. And uh, I, I, hope, um, I hope we all get to as well. And these contributions and the changing in systemic hockey culture, I think is going to play a part in doing that. Cause I think there's lots of individuals who are championing that work. And I, I implore and push the league to really take these issues seriously. Very well spoken there. Ari absolutely agree on those statements. Um, and I just got to say fantastic work on the draft profiles leading up to the draft on Friday. And for the listeners, definitely follow Ari on Twitter. If you aren't already for some strange reason, and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, everyone. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Point cast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Thanks for listening. Adios.